we're back. It's season 16, and this time around, we're doing things a little bit different. We are several episodes into season 16 of RuPaul's Drag Race, and fans are here for it. Late last year, the long-running reality show revealed a new crop of 14 queens competing to become America's next drag superstar. The music, because the show is about to start. <laughs> before RuPaul became the world's best-known drag queen, and long before reality TV was even a thing, a Portland bar owner named Walter Cole started doing drag. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Walter presents That's No Lady, That's Darcel 15 and Company. Darcel 15 was a Portland icon, and her club, Darcel 15 Showplace, is still a mainstay of Portland nightlife. I recently went there for the first time to see a show. It was totally amazing, and I also got a chance to talk to some of the performers backstage. One of the queens who performs at Darcel's legendary club is Alexis Campbell Starr. You know, I feel like this is the elite of Portland drag. Yeah. Um, it's the most most professional venue that we have in our town. So to work here is an honor, um, especially to be, to have been friends with Darcel. This one of my biggest things is like, I was actually friends with the person that started this and started this for everybody here that's doing it in Portland. In 2016, Guinness World Records certified Darcel as the oldest drag queen performer. She had been an entertainer for more than five decades when she died last year at the age of 92. When you walk into the club, you know you are in an old Portland bar. It smells vaguely like ancient cigarettes because it's been around long enough that people used to actually smoke in there. The small stage is adorned with Darcel's name in sparkly lights. Longtime employee Mr. Mitchell greets you at the door. This is what I love to do. There's nothing like it anywhere in the world. I'm Jen Chavez, and this is The Evergreen, a podcast about the place you call home. Drag has a rich history in the Pacific Northwest. Later in this episode, we're going to hear from some Drag Race contestants who are from here. But first, let's talk about Darcel. Oregon Experience producer Cami Horton is very well-versed in the history of Darcel 15. Cami, for anyone who didn't have the pleasure of seeing Darcel perform, can you paint a picture for us? Absolutely. Um, Darcel was all about love and laughter. So her look was over the top. That meant big hair, big jewelry, hats and feathers, and of course, lots of sparkles and lots of colorful makeup. And just to be clear, um, you'll hear me use she, her pronouns for Darcel, but when I'm talking about Walter, I'll say he, him. I used to have people say, well, you know, you'd really look more like a woman if you do regular makeup. Well, I'm not a woman. I'm a man, and I am not. don't want to be a woman. I want to be a caricature. So how did Walter Cole create the character of Darcel in the first place? 
Well, Walter bought this kind of divey place in downtown Portland in 1967 called Demas Tavern, and it became one of the first safe places for queer people, specifically queer women, in Portland at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, this was before the Stonewall riots and the birth of the modern gay rights movement. And you got to remember, at this time, there were bar raids happening. People could be arrested because of who they were dancing with or how they were dressed. Patty May is a longtime activist. It was, uh, it was a very frightening time to be gay at that time. And the lesbian community, you know, just flocked to the Demas Tavern because there really wasn't any other place for us to go. Demas Tavern featured female impersonators. Now, Walter and his partner, Roxy Newhart, eventually created Darcel. She was named after actress and showgirl Denise Darcel. But the persona was based on this woman named Gracie Hansen, who is a larger-than-life comedian and performer here in Portland. Oh, the first time Roxy got me dressed up, it was two hours. Sat there for two hours. I thought, this is impossible. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. But Darcel was known as a hard worker, right? Oh, absolutely. The club became Darcel 15 Showplace. And as the headliner, Darcel was there every single night. For five days a week, we did three shows a night. It was like being hit with a two-by-four when you got through. Something I've been wondering about is how Darcel became associated with the number 15. Now that comes from the Imperial Sovereign Rose Court that began in the 1950s. Now, even back then, they held these elaborate balls and pageants for drag queens. In 1973, the court crowned Darcel as its 15th empress. Oh. And she was very proud of that. And she renamed the club and herself in honor of the title. And she also kept this elaborate, beautiful costume that she wore in a place of honor in her home. The hair weighed 30 pounds. Very difficult to wear, but when you know it's a beautiful look, you, you can put up with it. Now, she actually made a lot of her own costumes, as well as the costumes for other performers at the club. The first costumes I made was I just put a piece of fabric on the floor and uh, got down and cut it out and sewed it up, and it was a dress. I used to make all hats for everything I made. It's a neat thing. I like this part of it just as well as I do on stage. And on top of all of that, she also did a lot of events outside the club, right? Yes. She was very involved in the community, emceeing for many fundraisers and benefit events. She and Roxy created a drag pageant called La Femme Magnifique that was both a celebration of drag and a fundraiser for various causes. Darcel was very active in the fight to raise awareness about AIDS and LGBTQ equality. Be very proud of 2015. Be very proud to be a part of the gay community. 2015, be very proud. Now you have a chance. You can love who you want to love, and you can marry who you want to marry. And for many years, Darcel was the Grand Marshal of the Portland Pride Parade. Younger people in the community, in the gay community, have not a clue. They can go anywhere, they can walk holding hands down the street, in or out of drag. We made it acceptable. There is a lot more acceptance of drag and queer people now than there was when Darcel first started performing. But we've also seen a lot of legislation and pushback against queer communities, and drag in particular, just in the last couple of years. Did that affect Darcel and her club? You know, I, I doubt it. Darcel mm. was an activist and had been fighting this stuff for decades. 
And just last year, Darcel 15 Showplace hosted an event that was designed to push back against hate and celebrate drag in a new way. Over 60 drag performers from around the country came together at the club for an event called Dragathon. Eden Dawn was one of the organizers. So my friend, Emma McElroy, who is the CEO of Wild Fang, a gender nonconforming clothing company in town, she called me up and was like, I think that these drag bands are going to have a negative impact on the world. We know that they are. And what can we do to draw attention to this? But not only that, how do we fight the hate with joy? That was our internal mantra for the show. As the name Dragathon implies, it was a drag marathon, and it broke the Guinness World Record for longest continual drag performance. It was officially 48 hours, 11 minutes, and 30 seconds long. Wow. <laughs> and at the end, the crowd got a message from RuPaul herself. Congratulations, Darcells. You did it. You just won the Guinness World Record for the longest dragathon in history. My goodness. Thank you for spreading love and the joy of drag throughout the world. Oh, my goodness. Big kiss from Mama Roo. Now, along with breaking the Guinness record, the dragathon raised $296,000 for the Trevor Project. That's a nonprofit that supports LGBTQ plus youth. Well, I love the congratulations from RuPaul. And I also love that they were able to raise so much money for a good cause. And, you know, even though Darcel herself died before this event, it does seem like it was very much in keeping with what she would have wanted. Yeah, absolutely. The Dragathon organizers did say that they got Darcel's blessing to have the event at her club. And even though she died before it happened, they knew that the show must go on, which is just what Darcel and Walter Cole would have wanted. When Walter's partner Roxy died, Darcel was on the stage that night because, you know, it was home and her family mm -hmm. was at the club. Mm -hmm. And Darcel was still performing the week before passing away. Darcel 15 Showplace honored Walter by continuing all performances as scheduled. Kevin Cook, better known as his drag name Poison Waters, has been performing at Darcel 15 Showplace for years. And he was at Darcel's last show. Yeah, 92. And, you know, he was in his wheelchair because he had little mobility issues. And he performed his new songs that are out on an album with Pink Martini. And the place, it was just so full of love. He was glitzed and glammed and had a wonderful time. 92 years old and still performing. That is really incredible. It is. But, you know, that's just who Darcel was. What do you think kept her going all that time? I think that even though sometimes the costumes were uncomfortable, you know, the hair was heavy, the dresses were heavy, too, with all the rhinestones. Despite that part of it, performing drag was very freeing for Walter. Garcel can do and say anything, and has, and gotten away with it. Ladies, just shut your mouths over there. Garcel really cared about the community. She always said she was an ambassador to straight people, <laughs> showing them love and laughter. I want to be remembered because I made somebody smile and care. And another thing that happens here a lot is young people will tell their parents that they're gay and they come here. And then they look around, they, the parents see their contemporaries and they're enjoying themselves. And this, the son can say, look, you see, those are the kinds of things I'd like to be remembered for. 
Mm, I love that. And, you know, when I went to Darcel's recently, I talked to Poison Waters and I asked her what it means to her to be carrying on that legacy. Oh, my gosh, this is the only place I would choose to have my home base. All of us get invited to perform all over, but we always come back here. This is the this is the place. And we can even say it in the world. There's drag great places here, there, everywhere. But this is the place when you walk in, you're going to get a great show that's steeped in history. And we do it for ourselves. We do it for the audience. But we also, there's a little part of us that knows each time we go on stage, it's for Darcel and Roxy. They built this. You know, in many ways, it's like their spirit is still there. It still represents a place of love and laughter and a safe space for all people to come together. Yeah. Well, Cami, thank you so much for sharing a bit about Darcel with us today. It's my pleasure. Cami Horton is a producer for Oregon Experience. You can see the documentary she produced about Darcel 15, as well as our coverage of the Dragathon event on our website, opb.org. Drag is an ever-evolving art form, and Darcel 15 definitely represents a particular era. What you see on RuPaul's Drag Race can be a whole different thing. In season 10, the queens had to dress for the runway, looking the way they imagined themselves in 50 years. And this sparked a conversation in the workroom between the queens known as Ms. Cracker and Monet Exchange. Monet, you were in Portland for a while, right? I sure was. You remember that drag queen that was like 96? Darcelle. Yes, ma'am. Yes, she is the oldest drag queen I know. I think she's the oldest drag queen in America. Right? Besides Shaquita. It's so cool to go watch the show because you see she's like up there in her heels. Telling the jokes that are exactly her age. (laughs) I just just flew in from Portland and my arm is tired. You know, I see myself doing drag forever, girl. I'm gonna be Miss Darcel one day, just me, but I ain't wearing no heels, so I'll be in some good times and a little kitten wig, RuPaul. Darcel was 88 at the time, not 96, but of course, drag queens are known for exaggeration. Anyway, to round out this episode, I want to bring you an excerpt from an interview that my friend and colleague Crystal Ligori did with two Northwest queens who have both competed on Drag Race. Crystal, hello. Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me on. So who are these queens? Okay, so I got to talk to the internationally tolerated <laughs> Jinx Monsoon and the terminally delightful Ben de la Creme. And for clarity, those are both self-chosen monikers for the queens. <laughs> I love them both so much. And I know you were really jazzed to do this interview. For the uninitiated, who are these two superstars? Yeah, I was over the moon. Honestly, I think my face was sore after the conversation because I was just grinning so much while I was chatting with them. So both Jinx and Ben de la Creme, who also goes by Dela, are drag artists and activists who became household names after joining the fifth and sixth seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. Jinx Monsoon won their season and went on to also also win All-Stars 7 on Drag Race, but long before that, both of the queens were working together here in the Pacific Northwest. And they were pretty young when they started, right? Yeah. Monsoon actually started performing at 15 here in Portland, which is our hometown. And Dela started a little bit later. She started in Chicago when she was still in college before she made her way to Seattle in the mid-2000s. And you talked to them last year ahead of their international holiday tour called the Jinx and Dela Holiday Show. And you started out by asking them about queer joy. What made you want to start there, Crystal? 
You know, honestly, Jen, I wanted to start there because there was so much terrible news that was mm. happening last year mm-hmm. for LGBTQ plus communities, things like bans on drag, things like bans on access to health care for trans folks. So as a queer person, I wanted to share some positive stories about these communities. So this is what they said in that answer to my question about how queer joy shows up in their lives. And Jinx Monsoon speaks first. One big thing that is bringing me a lot of queer joy, it's kind of funny that at the same time that we are seeing political backlash and societal backlash towards our community in entertainment and media, we're seeing more representation than I ever imagined possible as a young person who had Will and Grace and Queer as Folk and that was it, you know? And now it's like, there's queer characters in my video games. Like, do you know, as a queer nerd, what that brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) Taylor, what about you? I mean, I think it's so hard to talk about the concept of queer joy without talking about all of the more bleak stuff that's out there. And I think that's because historically, the most joyful queer arts and community events come out of the sort of necessity to gather together because of what we've historically been up against. You know, I mean, drag in itself is something that rose out of these spaces that queer folks had to create on the DL in order to be safe and to have a little respite and a place to kind of laugh and realize that that we're not alone. And so I think that for me, a lot of my queer joy comes from the work we get to make. Does your work as drag artists and public figures really feel like a daily pushback to that rhetoric? Both of us have been doing drag for like two decades, and it was a different thing when we started. It did not assure you a place as a leader or a platform in any kind of mainstream community. And Dela always says, in fact, it kind of assured that you wouldn't have (laughs) those things in life. Yeah, it's possible to forget how close the darkness is looming. And so I think it's really important to stay aware of that so that we can actively fight it as a community. You know, it's too easy sometimes to want to turn away from that. But I think it's possible to turn away enough to have some joy, but also remain very aware that it's right there and we, we need to rally against it. You know, RuPaul's Drag Race made you both household names, but you've been doing this a long time before that. I would love to know how drag maybe feels different here in the Pacific Northwest than it does in other parts of the country or how it felt different sort of bringing your version of drag to a bigger audience. Drag is very regional. And what I loved about starting in Portland and then continuing my drag work in Seattle is that I found ways to do the drag that I wanted to do because there were places to do that, you know, because we are in a bubble in the Pacific Northwest, especially in those two cities. Other places, they don't have as thriving of a queer community, so they don't get to have as much diversity in what's offered to that queer community. When you have one gay bar in town, everything's going to feel a little bit more homogenized. We both feel like we really found our voice in Seattle. And it's because we had a community where 
there was a place for our voice to begin to be heard. <laughs> but I think something that for me is really special, the audiences in the Northwest are hungry, but also like loving and generous. And there's there's just an openness among performers and audiences. Drag queens Ben De La Creme and Jinx Monsoon spoke to OPB's Crystal Ligori. You can listen to the full interview and see some pictures from their holiday show at opb.org. Thank you for listening to The Evergreen. We'll be here next week with another episode about the place you call home. If you're here listening right now, you are a part of our brand new podcast family. Help us grow by leaving a review on your favorite podcast app, including YouTube. Follow us there and hey, tell your friends. Julie Sabatier produced this episode and our technical director is Stephen Cray. He engineered this episode. The OPB podcast team also includes Mia Estrada and Sage Van Wing. Cami Horton, Dave Miller, Crystal Ligori, Lisa Swin Callum, Greg Bond, Michael Ben Dixon, and Nick Fisher did the interviews you heard. The music in this episode is from Audio Network. If you have a question for us, please hit us up. You can reach us by email at theevergreen at opb.org. I'm Jen Chavez. Catch you later. Listener.